and back to um, the Gospel of Matthew. After having a week off, uh, we covered uh, some family issues last week, and if you weren't here last week, uh, we covered some very, very important family issues, and Pastor Daniel did just an amazing job. And, you know, knowing what he was going to be sharing and the things that that we had been talking about, he could have stayed up here for another couple hours each service, talking about other issues, but mainly, you know, family issues, especially with dads and stuff. And it was just phenomenal. So if you missed it, um, go back to our website. Go to our website, and, and the, 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 the thing is there. Share it with other people. It was just phenomenal. So you need to uh, listen to it. It was really, really good. Um, well, a couple, of, a couple of weeks ago, we did cover a whole chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. And it is my hope that this morning I do the same thing. I'm going to try to cover a whole, another whole chapter. So if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. I told you that to keep a bookmark there for the, the next year and a half, maybe two, uh, we will be in the Gospel of Matthew. There's so much. And you're going, but you're covering a chapter at a time. It's not, don't get used to that. It's uh, chapter four is pretty hardcore, but man, we start getting into the Beatitudes and we might linger chapters five, six and seven for months on end. So anyways, read ahead, get to know the gospel of Matthew. Understand that again, he's writing to the Jews. He's portraying him as the king. And so grab a grab a hold of that. So we will read the whole chapter in its entirety as I plan to get getting through it too verse 1 in those days john the baptist came preaching in the wilderness of judea and saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand for this is he who who was spoken of by the prophet isaiah saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make his path Straight. Now John himself was, was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the regions around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan confessing their sins. But when the, he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire i indeed baptize you with water unto repentance but he who is coming after me is mightier than i whose sandals i am not worthy to carry he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire the winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor 
and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For, this, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, Behold, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and enlightening upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Father in heaven, once again, we are so grateful for your word. You love us so much, Lord, that you gave us your word so that we can learn so we can know what you have done, what you are doing, and what, what you will do. And so, Jesus, we look to you this morning, that you would speak to our hearts. Help my brothers and sisters to have ears to hear and help me in just sharing this message, Lord, with boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go back to verse 1, and it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. If you remember where we left off in our last study a couple of weeks ago, in the previous chapter, we saw that Jesus, the toddler Jesus, at the end of the chapter by then, who was in essence the exiled king because he had fled, or his father, stepfather, had fled from the land of Israel, and he went down to Egypt, and God had told his dad his stepdad, to be there until, until Herod, King Herod, was dead. And so, again, we know that it was Joseph, his stepfather, who, who was getting all these messages that God was, through an angel and through dreams, was revealing to him what he ought to be doing in this whole situation that was going on around them. And instead of coming back from Egypt into the land of Israel, back to Joseph's hometown and the birthplace of Jesus, which was Bethlehem, says that they went and they dwelt in Nazareth. So in those days, in those days, <laughs> it's interesting because from chapter 2 to chapter 3, there's been about 30 years, 28 years basically, that has happened. So in those days, in those 28 years, from that last verse to the first verse that we're, we're covering here about about 28 years or so have passed. And Matthew picks up the narrative, the storyline, the account of what's going to happen next in the life of King Jesus. Matthew skips his whole childhood, Jesus' whole childhood. But we know from the Gospel of Luke, and that's why it's important to read all the Gospels to get the whole narrative, the whole story, we know that the last time that we really ran across Jesus was when he was about 12 years old and he, had, he, he and his family had come down to the temple and again, being a good Jewish family, they probably came down at least three times a year. But for sure, 
around this time of the Passover that he had been down. And as the family left, Jesus stayed behind in the temple, if you know the story. He stayed behind. And all the leaders marveled of the things that he was saying, even at 12 years old. And when they came back to find him, he says, didn't you know that I'd be about my father's business? But we don't hear a lot about his story after that. But it does tell us in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Now, as I've shared with you, as we started the Gospel of Matthew, it had been been about 400 years since God had spoken to the nation of Israel. And then right on cue, right on cue, God shows up in the form of a child. And all of a sudden, there's a ruckus that happens for a couple of years, that all of a sudden, things are happening in the nation of Israel. Angels are popping up. Dreams are happening. Shepherds are getting freaked out. I mean, all this stuff is happening. I mean, the king, King Herod, is, is freaking out because the wise men come in and there weren't three wise men. And look at this, all the, all the nativity scenes that we have around here. After last week's message or a couple of weeks ago, you would think we'd be done with it, but we're not. And I told you, it's okay, you know. If you look on the Christmas tree, every stinking ornament is a nativity scene. Be that as it may, we're okay though. We're okay, right? Anyway, I just thought I'd mention it once again after I debunked the whole thing. But for a couple of those years in the beginning of Jesus' life, there was a ruckus that happened for about two years. All this was happening, and then all of a sudden, this child disappears. And again, he came down, he shows up at 12 years old, but we hear nothing about it. But I could guarantee you things were happening around Israel, there was this buzz going around. But we don't have any more recordings of him. And so this child, he disappears for 28 years, and he serves in obscurity. He served in obscurity. obscurity. In other words, as he increased in knowledge and stature and in the favor of God and man, he was doing... The simple, practical, and humble things for, to, and with those around him. Ministering to them. So for about another 28 years, God really, really didn't speak to the nation of Israel. Not, Not like he had when all of a sudden Jesus was born in those couple of years. But now it's time for King Jesus to go public and to begin his public ministry. And the interesting thing is that when a king, before a king arrived to his destination, to to where he was going to be at, there would always be someone who went before him to prepare the road, to fill in the potholes, (laughs) to do whatever. I mean, I kind of wish there was a king that would show up to feeling so we can fix the roads here. No, but... (laughs) Be that as it may. But there was always somebody that went before him, and it literally means to prepare the road, to prepare the path, means that they fixed the streets. And he announced the king's coming. And this is where John the Baptist comes in. He would be the king's forerunner. He would be the one that goes before him. 
It was this John the Baptist that the prophets spoke about. In Malachi, and again, I'm going to give you plenty of scriptures this morning to write down. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And then we see that here, Matthew, in verse 3, he, he, he quotes, and again, giving a lot of Old Testament references, Matthew quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, where it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Again, prepare, prepare the street. Get the street ready. So who is this John the Baptist? Well, we know from Luke's gospel that he ends up being a relative of Jesus. If you know the story, you know that Elizabeth and Zacharias, both being in their old age, couldn't, couldn't have children, and then God gave them a child. He was more like the second cousin to Jesus. He would be about six months older than Jesus. And they kind of sorted, sort of met right at the beginning there when they were both still in the womb. Because Mary goes to visit Elizabeth where she lived. And Elizabeth said, as soon as you came in, the baby leapt within me. It's almost like John the Baptist already knew that Jesus was in the room. Jesus was in the house. And he was going, I'm ready. In the womb, he was ready. He was ready. He came out paving the road, basically. He came out ready to go. He was ready to go, man. Now, it is quite possible that Jesus and John did not see each other in their childhood. It's a possibility, the fact that they would go to Jerusalem. But it's interesting because when Jesus came to be baptized, according to the Gospel of John, John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 33, I did not know him. Almost like I didn't recognize him. But this is what the Lord spoke to Zacharias, his dad, John, John the Baptist's father, concerning the son that would be born to him through the angel in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Get that. <laughs> the Lord tells, tells Zacharias, your son will come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. Couple that with, with what the Lord said in the last two verses of the Old Testament before he went silent for 400 years in Malachi. Once again, verse, chapter 4, the last two verses, 5 and 6. This is what Malachi prophesied. Behold, I will send Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children 
to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And so that is the last verse, the last words of the Old Testament before the coming of Jesus, 400 and some years later. And the Lord reveals that same thing to Zacharias. Again, there had not been a prophet in Israel for about 400 years. And now the king's forerunner has come on the scene. It's interesting because we look at John the Baptist in the New Testament, but he's not New Testament. He is Old Testament still. He dies before the cross, before the new covenant. And so John the Baptist is the last of all the prophets in the Old Testament. But he came to prepare the way for the new covenant that was about to come. And listen to what Jesus says about John the Baptist. Turn over a few pages to Matthew chapter 11. It is phenomenal, all the stuff that is said about John the Baptist, especially from the voice or from the words of Jesus, of what he says about John the Baptist. And he says, beginning in in verse 7, at this point, John the Baptist is now in jail, in prison, for coming against Herod. And his disciples had come to Jesus and saying, are you the one? (laughs) There was like a doubt in John's heart because of all that had been happening in his own life. And he encouraged them, hey, go back and tell John what's happening, and I am the one, basically. But in verse 7, it says this, As they departed, John's disciples, back to him, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, John the Baptist, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in in the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For, it, for this is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, Among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who has come. He who has ears, let him hear. Again, John the Baptist was the man. The fact that Jesus was talking about John the Baptist as being the greatest of all the prophets, I'm going, okay, well, that was your cousin. Come on. No. Nothing of the sort. John the Baptist came in the power and the spirit of John the Baptist or, or Elijah. Was he Elijah? 
No, but he came in that spirit and in that power. And I love the fact that Jesus said, hey, if you're ready to listen to this, man, he's the one I was talking about, that he would come. It's interesting because, again, John the Baptist <laughs> even resembled Elijah. Back in 2 Kings verses one, or chapter 1, verse 6, as, as Elijah is on the scene and people are coming back going, hey, man, we met this guy, and they asked him, what does he look like? And, and so they answered him. The king answered, what does he look like? A hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. He said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite, the king knew, because of his clothing. And again, so we see a description of, of John the Baptist here. We, 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 we see that he resembles even Elijah. And I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking, man, he must have looked kind of crazy, kind of wild. But he was, I, you know who I was picturing? Pastor Jacob. I was. I was picturing Pastor Jacob with that awesome beard that he has. It probably didn't look as nice as Pastor Jacob, but John the Baptist is probably about 30 years old, and Pastor Jacob is like 30, 31, 32, something like that. It's like, so we ought to look at, at, at him as an older kind of ruffian. It's like, no, he looked like Pastor Jacob. Just, just picture that. And Pastor Jacob wears this, like, I call it a purse, but he calls it a satchel, a satchel. And he has all these kind of crazy stuff, and he's kind of crazy. He has a knife and all that stuff. And <laughs> Pastor Jacob's probably way more handsomer than he is anyways, but he just looked crazy in his, you know, so he had this leather belt, and he had this camel hair and all this stuff, and coming out, and he's eating locusts and wild honey. Why honey? Because locusts taste better with honey. <laughs> probably. <laughs> But Leviticus tells us that locust grasshoppers were good to eat. That's what, but that was a poor man's kind of meal. You know, we see that in other countries. They eat all that kind of stuff. Mine would be dipped in chocolate, <laughs> right? Maybe some honey or syrup or something like the caramel. I don't know. But be that as it may, we often get this crazy picture of, of John the Baptist. And, I, and again, he, he, he just looked radical. But he I was being reminded of Pastor Jacob. But it says that John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And in John chapter 1, verse 28, it says, These things were done in Bethabara by the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And so Jesus comes from Nazareth to come and be baptized in Bethabara, which, which was about 60 miles south of Nazareth, way down south. And then it, it was about 20 miles east of Jerusalem where Bethabara was at. It's only a couple miles south or, or north of the Dead Sea. So when you look at your map, map 6, by the way, C4 is where you'll find Bethabara. Just so you know that that area was called the wilderness of, of Judea. Again, the Dead Sea being the lowest part of the earth, some 1,200 feet below sea level, is barren. It's, there's nothing there. And that is where John was baptizing. The message 
And the baptism of John was not for salvation. Understand that. It was not for salvation. It was centered on, and it was a call for repentance and the kingdom of heaven. His message and his baptism was for preparation. He was laying the groundwork, if you will, for the one that could come and take away the sins of his people, as we've read in chapter 1. That's what Jesus was coming for, to take away the sins of the people. John proclaimed in John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. What's interesting is that in that time, and baptism wasn't something strange, in that time, only Gentiles were convert, who were being converted to Judaism were being baptized. The Jews were not being baptized. They had their own washing ceremonies that they did. It was only Gentiles who were converting to Judaism that were being baptized. But in this particular instance, and with the message that he has given, it's the Jewish people who are being baptized here. They were being told to repent. And the word repent means to change one's mind and act on that change. as, As the king's forerunner, John the Baptist, was preparing the way of the Lord for the people. He was, in other words, opening up the road for them. He was taking away any roadblock that was before them so that they can understand and accept the kingdom of heaven that was now at hand, who was Jesus. He was now coming. And in essence, he was taking taking away any obstacle to get back on this road for the Jewish people. And they were repenting because they knew that they were on the outside. For 400 years, God had not spoken to them, and they had been so far away from God. It was almost as if they were like the Gentiles. That's how far off they were. And John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he says to them, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The one that will come and save his people from their sin has come, and it's up to you now to repent. To change your mind and act on that change is what he was telling them. In other words, God is about to interrupt your life (laughs) with the kingdom of heaven. And unless you acknowledge, he's telling them, unless they acknowledge that they have been living like the Gentiles and need a change of heart and mind, they will not be able to accept the kingdom of heaven. And they would continue in their roadblocks to have their roadblocks up and not receive this message. The expression, the kingdom of heaven, is similar to the kingdom of God and they are sometimes interchangeable. And it refers to the rule of the heavens, i.e. the rule of the God of heaven over the earth. And what came to mind as I was looking at this 
what came to mind is what we call the Lord's Prayer, that in the Lord's Prayer where it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is to say, <laughs> let the God of heaven rule our hearts and our minds here on earth. So in verses 5 and 6, it says that then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So here we see that the common people, they were coming to hear the message that John the Baptist had. It was a hard message for them. They were the common people, but they knew that they were so far out or off the road, they were off the beaten path, if you will, and God was calling them to come back and be prepared for the Messiah that was coming, and so he, he's calling them to come, and they are receiving the message gladly, these common people. They received the, mas the message, and they were being baptized, and they were confessing their sins, but they weren't receiving salvation here. Understand that. Jesus has not died for their sins yet. But they're confessing that they have not been on the right road. And they wanted to receive the Messiah. And he's preparing the path for that. He would be the one that would save them from their sin. But in verses 7 through 9, it says, but when he saw, when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Now here, in these, in these few verses, we, we get a better understanding of why the message that John the Baptist had was so important and what it meant to identify with his baptism of repentance and the kingdom of God. Here's where we get the crux of the understanding of why this message was so important. Those who were being baptized were, being, were preparing themselves for the Messiah. That the road might be open to them. That the road might be open to Jesus as well to come and meet with them. Which means that again, these people who were receiving the message of, of John the Baptist, they received it with gladness, these common people, which meant that they would receive the message that Jesus had for them of salvation with gladness. But we run into two groups here, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And you will hear a lot about the Pharisees and Sadducees throughout the gospel. And these two groups were always opposed to one another. They hated, they despised each other in a sense. They both wanted control over the religious system over Jerusalem and, and practically all the nation. The, 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 the Pharisees were traditionalists, and they were very strict about the law, whereas the Sadducees were rationalists and very liberal in their thinking 
the Pharisees did all the teaching, per se, in the temple. They were experts in the law. They created way more laws after that. But the Sadducees, they held the purse strings of the temple. They were the ones that were buying and selling and doing all kinds of stuff in the temple, and Jesus turns over their, their, their merchandise and stuff. But both of them were condescending. Both of them were self-righteous towards the people, towards the common man. They elevated themselves in such a way that everybody else was beneath them. Now here's a good way to remember the, who the Pharisees are and who the Sadducees are. The Pharisees are not fair, you see. Some of you guys know it. But we have new people. The Pharisees are not fair, you see, because they would lay burdens on the people and never, ever lift a finger to help the people out of that. Now, the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they did not believe in the resurrection or anything of the, of the sort. Angels, spiritual miracles, they didn't believe anything like that. And so you have your Pharisees who are not fair, you see. And you have the Sadducees, who are sad, you see. John the Baptist referred to these two groups as a brood of vipers. <laughs> I love that. You see, he knew that these cats weren't there with the right motive. They weren't there to receive the message. He, can, he, he, he says, you brood of vipers, you generation of snakes, he's saying. Vipers. He's saying, you, he's calling them children, offspring of snakes. In other words, you venomous, poisonous snakes. You are the worst of your kind. You are the worst. <laughs> it's interesting because Jesus would refer to these two guys or these two groups the same way. And you're going, oh, little baby Jesus would do that? <laughs> little mild, Mike, meek Jesus that the children ran up to? Yeah. He called them vipers, brood of vipers, hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. That was a bad thing. Whitewashed tombs. Jesus was, I mean, he stood up when he had to st stand up. But he would refer to them the same way as John. And he says, who has warned you to flee? Who has warned you to flee? <clears throat> the wrath to come. As I was reading this and, and studying this, I'm going, John the Baptist is being sarcastic here. Again, he knows that they are not there for pure motives, but he's going, oh man, who's warned you about the wrath that would come? bunch of snakes they weren't there to be baptized they were there to watch what was happening so they can try to catch him and destroy him although they should have known both groups they should have known that the messiah would be coming and they should have known that he would be coming like the prophet uh um What's the prophet's name? You guys listening? Huh? Elijah. Elijah. Ding, 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 ding. 
Elijah. They should have known. They should have liked, man, this guy looks like, you know, he's, he's powerful like Elijah. He dresses like Elijah. Must be the Elijah that God spoke about. These guys should have known that he was coming on the scene. But they were not ready, nor were they willing to repent. I believe that they just did not and were not going to identify with the common people. To go and be baptized by John the Baptist and give him credibility. I think that it was way beneath them to even get close to repenting. And, and I love the fact that John the Baptist says to them, I, I don't, don't, don't even think that you're going to use uh, Abraham as our father card. You're not going to pull that one off on me right now. Because I say to you that God will lift up these stones and make them his descendants. You see, these guys, they thought that they were good enough. They had no need to repent. Because to them, we're Abraham's sons. He is our father. Why would we have to repent? These losers over here have no clue what they're doing. They thought, we have Abraham. And he's, but he catches them before they even say anything. Don't pull that card out on me. Don't even think that you think that you're good enough. But you know what? They did think very highly of themselves. In reality, they should have been the first ones down to the River Jordan confessing their sins because they were the ones that were furthest away from the kingdom of heaven because of their self-righteousness. You see that Jesus, when he, when he finally tells John, hey, no, you, bro, you baptize me so that we can fulfill righteousness. These guys are going, we're righteous already. But they were being righteous in their own selves or thinking that, that Abraham was the one that covered their righteousness and he wasn't. They should have, they ought to have been setting the example of repentance. But you see, that would have taken humility. And humility wasn't even in their lexicon. It wasn't in their vocabulary, much less in their character. And so in verses 10 to 12, when he begins to talk about the axe laid to the root, the windowing fan at the threshing floor, these who should have known and understood the message and the fruits of repentance that would be associated with the message were not even moved by the message. Matter of fact, they fought against that message. So the warning goes out to these snakes. Again, it's not that they didn't know or understand. They just were not willing to humble themselves. And so John speaks their language judgment and he begins to tell them what would be laid what would happen they understood the axe being laid to the root they understood that the tree symbolized the nation of Israel they understood that they understood the winnowing fan that, that, that when they were you know 
doing the whole wheat thing, that the wheat, the good stuff, would be brought into the, the barns and everything else would just be burned or fly away. They understood that kind of language. But they had too much pride to think that that would ever apply to them. This is why the common people heard Jesus gladly and the religious leaders fought against him at every turn. But the king's forerunner was making the way straight. He was paving the road. He was eliminating all the roadblocks so that people can come to Jesus. And those people who would come to Jesus at this time, after John, they would bear fruits worthy of repentance. And they would continue to bear good fruit and they would be gathered into the, the barns as wheat eventually. But those who did not heed this warning were cut down. They would become worthless as chaff and be burned in the fire, speaking judgment that would come upon them eventually. John the Baptist, he, he knew where he stood. In verse 11 where it says, I indeed baptize you with water to repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry or, or take off. He, he understood that he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. He knew that when Jesus came on the scene, he would be decreasing so je that Jesus would be increasing. He understood his place John the Baptist knew his worth. As bold as he was, as gnarly as he was, as radical as he was, there was a humility about him when it came to lifting Jesus up and him taking second fiddle. Oh, he had his disciples, and some of those disciples would be leaving him soon to follow after Jesus. And he was okay with that. I'm not saying that John was perfect. He had his doubts. He had his time in prison when he doubted. But he knew that he was called to prepare the way for Jesus. He knew that. He knew that his baptism was preparation, laying the groundwork for the Messiah to come on the scene. But he says in verse 12, or no, at the end of, of verse 11. And he, speaking to Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, John was preparing people for the Messiah, for Jesus. Whereas the baptism of Jesus was the Holy Spirit and fire. And that would be the preparation for eternity. And those who rejected John's baptism more than likely would be rejecting the Holy Spirit as well. And the fire that is spoken of here, again, it's not in all translations or you have an asterisk next to it, but it's speaking about the refiner's fire as Malachi 3, 2 and 3 says. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will, set, he will sit as the refiner 
and the purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. From verses 13 to 17, all of a sudden, Jesus is now on the scene. He has come, and you can read another account in the Gospel of John of all that went on there. But it says, when Jesus came from Galilee, up where Nazareth was, to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, and it says that John tried to prevent him, saying, I, in, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. And Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. More likely, permit now. For thus it is fitting for us to fill, to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus is now going to start his public ministry at about the age of 30. And he came to John, his distant cousin, to fulfill all righteousness. John, trying to prevent him after acknowledging that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, John humbles himself once again before Jesus and says, I'm not worthy. I am not worthy to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And I love the way the Amplified puts verse 15. It says, But Jesus replied to him, Permit it just now. For this is the fitting way for both of us to fulfill all righteousness. That is, to perform completely whatever is right. Then he permitted him. Jesus is the righteousness of God. And he came to fulfill the will of the Father. So that all who come to the Father through Jesus would also be the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, there are several schools of thought of why Jesus had to be baptized or needed to be baptized. And they all kind of make sense. I'm going to give you five little points here. First, Jesus was now entering into his ministry and his office or his office as mediator, as a priest, as a prophet, priest, and king. And to enter this kind, these kinds of offices, there would have to be a ceremonial washing. <clears throat> So Jesus' baptism signifies his entering into ministry. Two, Jesus' baptism <clears throat> was a means of introducing him as the Messiah, the Christ, the sent one to the people. <coughs> Coming to save from their sins. Three, he was putting himself in the place of sinners. And in so doing, he would be identifying with them. Something that the religious leaders would never even dream of. Being like the common people. Fourthly, <clears throat> this was a looking forward 
a prophecy, if you will, of his own death and resurrection, which would fulfill all righteousness. <clears throat> the final one, fifthly, this act of baptism by John the Baptist would legitimize, authenticate, and ver uh, validate the ministry of John the Baptist, which would always be a bone of contention between the religious leaders and the common people. And Jesus brought this in, brought this up at the end of his life. <clears throat> the ministry of baptism by John the Baptist and the Christian baptism are two different things. Understand that. John was preparing the way for the Messiah. He was looking forward to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we as Christians, we look back on 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 baptism we look back uh, in baptism we look back at the cross and the resurrection <clears throat> now we do believe and we ought to get baptized because Jesus said that as his followers that is what we're supposed to do not only for ourselves but for others so that we can identify with him in his death and resurrection but it also signifies that our sins have been washed away. Baptism is not your salvation. This is an outward expression of something that's gone on on the inside. And in essence, saying publicly, I am a follower of Christ and I will continue to follow Christ, given the fact that salvation has already taken place. And that is water baptism. It's different than being baptized into the body of Christ. The two scriptures for being baptized into the body of Christ comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through, through 6. It says, For there is one body and one spirit, just as we are called in one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into the body, one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink of one Spirit. And so when we get saved, when salvation comes, you are now baptized, put into the body of Christ, which is different than water baptism. And so now we can identify with Christ because we've been put into his body. And then when we go and get water baptized, we identify with his death and his resurrection. And so as we finish up here, it says, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens opened to him, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And what a beautiful picture. The first time in the New Testament we see Trinity, the Trinity. It's clearly seen here. We have God the Father or God the Son coming up out of the water. God the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove 
And we have God the, the Father saying, this is my w- beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. As John the Baptist was the king's forerunner, preparing the way for the coming Messiah, so we as Christians are also the king's forerunners, preparing the way for eternal life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last verse, and we'll close in prayer. It's the verse that the Lord gave us for this year's vision, for this past year's vision, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, blessed be your name for you are worthy to be praised. We once again thank you for your word and allowing us, Lord God, to cover so much, Lord. God, I know that the depths here could have, could have been deeper, Father. There's so much that can be shared. But I thank you for the words, the message that you gave me to share with my brothers and sisters. Lord, that there might be clarity in, in our hearts and understanding. Lord, that we would realize that you have called us to be common people, to come and hear your word gladly. Lord, as we begin to see these two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Lord, I pray that, God, you would convict our hearts if we ever get close to being self-righteous, to thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but that we would always desire, Lord God, to be the common people that hear you gladly and receive your message so that we can go out and share it with others, Lord. Thank you so much for that. Jesus, I thank you for calling my brothers and sisters. Go with them now, Lord God. Give them strength. Give them power that they could be the forerunner for the King as well. Thank you for that, Lord. If there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus, you've been outside on off the road <laughs> And Jesus wants to show you who he is. You don't have to repent like these people were were repenting, but you do have to repent and ask for forgiveness of your sins. He already died on the cross. He came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He's already done it. And all you have to do is respond to him and turn to him and walk with him. And he'll make you that new person that he wants to make you. If there's anyone here, just lift your hands right where you're at. I want to pray for you for salvation to come into your life, that God would be that real in your life. Is there anyone this morning to make that commitment? Father, I pray, God, that you would just continue to strengthen my brothers and sisters, giving them ears to hear what your word says, what your spirit has to say to them. Strengthen them. Go with them now. Use them in a powerful way, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's